everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Talking to Change, a motivational interviewing podcast. Uh, for those who are new to us, uh, my name is Sebastian Kaplan, and I'm in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Glenn Hines from Derry in Northern Ireland. Hello, Glenn. Hey, Seb. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Good. Uh, and so we we are happy to have our guest speaker for today. And before we introduce Magella, uh, Glenn, maybe you can remind the audience of the various ways to find our podcast and to get in touch with us. Sure. So for all the tweeters, tweeters out there, it's at Change Talking. Uh, for the Facebook people, it is Talking to Change. And for people who simply want to give us back channel conversation or feedback, uh, it's podcast at glennhines.com. Wonderful. Well, we'll get right into it today. So we are very pleased to have our good friend and colleague, Magella Green, uh, joining us for a chat. Uh, Magella Green is someone who enjoys a full range of human emotions, perhaps some that are yet to be discovered. Magella is curious about human emotions, self-fulfillment, resilience, positive experiences, and those difficult experiences that enable us to grow. A registered social worker, a MAP graduate with an additional master's in social work policy and research, working with individuals, communities, and organizations to increase well-being, actively promoting a best possible self agenda. She lives in Brent, one of the most diverse boroughs in London, England, with two cats, Cecily and Leonard. Hello, Magella, and welcome to our conversation today. Hello, how are you? We're doing great. Yeah. We're doing great. Uh, one thing I'm curious about, it, in as far as your bio goes, you, there's a, an acronym there, MAP. I'm just being in the States, maybe I'm unfamiliar with that. Uh, well, it stems from the States. It's a Master's in Applied Positive Psychology. So ah, it's from Penn State University originally, where Martin Seligman is based. Right. Okay, great. So, and that's really, it, it's a good segue into the, uh, into our topic for today, uh, at least, at least the initial topic, our conversation might go in other directions, but our, our plan for today was to begin anyway, talking about positive psychology and its links to motivational interviewing. And so maybe, maybe it's a good place to start there, Magella, just to talk mm -hmm. a bit about positive psychology and what that is. It is. And I, I, and I think probably the first thing I'd like to say is uh, when I studied the MAP course, one of the first things that struck me was mm, there seems to be that they've missed out motivational interviewing on this course when it fits completely with uh, positive psychology and what positive psychology purports to stand for. So positive psychology is just the term that's been coined in the last 20 years, um, and it certainly is, isn't something new. Uh, Post-war, what happened was we lost the focus on well-being and human flourishing in favor of repairing and fixing all the damage that had taken place through the loss and deaths and horrendousness of uh, the world wars that carried on. So the development and, sorry, I, I'll carry on. That's an, I completely forgot that alarm goes off at six. Um, yeah, so during post-war years, the focus shifted from a more balanced psychology practice, which was about um, looking at 
how, how and what enabled people to flourish in life and became much more focused on repairing and fixing people who had been damaged through the experiences of war. So it's not something new. The term is something new. And it was, it was really put together to, I think, sw swing the pendulum back over the other side uh, and to make uh, a more conscious focus on human flourishing and move away from repairing and fixing. So it's very much based around what are the factors, what are the things that enable the optimal living experiences for people? So it sounds like the, <clears throat> what's interesting about what you just said is, is that, that, this, that, that there was a time before the wars that people were focused on well-being and balance. And then because of the consequences of the war, uh, and I imagine it's, if we think of it from a psychology perspective, that perhaps the traumas that were created by that then, that there's this reparation work done and the focus got shifted to what most of us practitioners would now know was normal, which is trying to make things better by filling in the gaps. Mm. Wow. Yes, it, it, and, and I think that, I mean, certainly I worked with a number of long-stay psychiatric patients in the mid to late 80s uh, before I qualified. And um, they'd been in hospital for 25, 35 mm. years, some mm. of them. Mm. Um, and they ended up there because they were experiencing post-traumatic stress symptoms as a result of witnessing horrendous things. Um, and the, very much the focus was about medicating, taking them out of society and isolating rather than looking what, what well, how can we uh, look after the people in our society to rebuild the structures, whatever that may be. And, you know, obviously the focus within a capitalist system is to have people who are fit to work. Um, and so the focus was on fixing people good enough to be able to work. Mm. And so positive psychology is looking to sort of fill that other that other side there i guess it's not just about getting one good enough but to really imagine sort of an optimal experience and help people strive towards that mm. and also to recognize that uh that doesn't mean walking around with a massive grin on your face all the time and denying that shit happens, right? It's, it's definitely not about um, walking around, clapping your hands and saying how fantastic everything is. Uh, it's, it's recognizing that there are um, adverse things that happen in life that, um, you know, but how do you manage those? How do you express those emotions? How do you express your full range of emotions and not deny those elements of yourself and in order to really flourish my belief is that you have to have the capacity to express and experience a full range of emotions without denying or suppressing one end or the other mm. as we know in someone's experiencing um, clinical depression and there's some great medications out there for that but when you suppress the shitty side you also suppress the good side mm. potential and I'm, I'm not knocking medication at all I think it absolutely has a place in the world and but it's that kind of let's not deny 
um, our full range of emotions. Let's not deny that we can be angry or that there's potential for violence or there's other things that are not associated with positive experiences mm. in the world as such because of the way it's framed. So rather than attaching shame to those feelings, it's really opening them up and having people be able to express actually that doesn't feel okay to me or um, I'm really devastated for losing my job rather than oh great okay this is an opportunity well it might be an opportunity but the opportunities come from a really shitty place potentially Mm. And, and maybe in that moment you don't recognize it as an opportunity so it's rather than denying it's allowing processes to um you know, not suppress your emotions, to allow those emotions to be there and to learn how to observe them without spiralling out of control in one way or another. And, and uh, I'm trying to formulate in my mind that then the, it sounds like it's, there's a removal of, of a form of judgment that perhaps we would have considered that having inverted commas negative feelings was something to be avoided. But the other side of that part, the other side of it is that then we were searching out the positive feelings. It sounds like the, the positive and positive psychology doesn't refer to one side of that spectrum. It's, mm. it's, and I'm wondering, can you, can you help us understand a wee bit more about the, why it's called positive? Um, I'm guessing hmm. <laughs> uh, it got called positive because uh, psychology has looked at the negative. Hmm all the time what's wrong what's wrong in the world right rather than what's right in the world right so that's where the well i'm not guessing i know is that's where the positive side came from Mm. is is that um the focus was always on the negative what are the things that are damaging us how can we damage each other a bit more let's do something terrible to see if we can test it out in a clinical situation yeah Mm. and again i suppose from a from a traditional helper's position is that you know i'm only in a i'm only in a place to help you when there's something wrong but what you're describing Mm. is and and again consistent what we've been talking about in motivational interviewing and the spirit of motivational interviewing particularly is is that we can look at this from a different perspective which is you know what's under these circumstances what is it that you're already doing really well and how can you build from there rather than us trying to fill in gaps how do we help you build from what's currently available to you in, in internally and in, in your environment. Mm. Yeah. And I think that, that really the positive element is, uh, it was bandied about for a long time without really considering the other side as well. So it's, it's taken a, there's a second wave of positive psychology, which um, I'll be honest with you, I thought was always, there yeah and the second wave is looking at the dark side of of life so Mm. it's it's not denying it um and i think that's pretty obvious from where i've seen and worked in Mm. in practice is you you can't have you can't have one side of the coin Mm. (laughs) you might stick one side of the coin down on the floor but you've still got both sides of the coin yes Mm -hmm. you're just not looking at the other one so Mm -hmm. Right. And so positive and negative has a, the, the, are sort of two ends that might uh, naturally lead people to f- focus in on 
sort of happiness versus anger and let's try to make you happy all the time. And, mm-hmm. and it, really what it seems like you're saying, or there may be some other words that might be, um, not to suggest that we change the terminology, but like authentic and inauthentic, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like what you're describing is viewing people and viewing one is, one's experience as, as more authentic that, uh, yeah, there may be an opportunity that comes from shitty circumstances, but there's also the reactions and the authentic experience of difficult times that aren't meant to be ignored or, or denied or sort of brushed aside in favor of let's, let's just try to always look on the bright side. Mm. Well, and because if you're always looking at the bright side, you're already de- denying some elements of yourself and your human experience. But the others, I don't think happiness and anger are opposites. Mm. Yeah. And I don't, uh, you know, I think uh, possibly the opposite of anger is acceptance mm-hmm. and peace, mm-hmm. rather than, uh, you know, being at peace with something is 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 more aligned, in my view, with uh, being the opposite of being angry or depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, it sounds, so it sounds like a similar, maybe a similar type debate going on within the positive psychology world about. You know what's the right words to describe this, and in the same way as that, you know that I that very often you'll hear people say, you know, motivation interviewing is that talking to people, and you know, and it's almost like the word, the term motivation interviewing in itself doesn't capture the nature of what it mm-hmm. is that we're doing. It's it's not exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah. It absolutely right. isn't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think I mean, Bill has Bill Miller said that years ago, didn't right. he? It was like a misnomer, but it was already taken off by then, so right. it was too late. Right. To right. And uh, I think that uh, you know people make a value judgment based on on words and language we use, which is is takes me down the route of thinking about how we we phrase things how we think about things how we are inclusive and and make things more accessible and less um exclusive to a particular group or you know even with research and processes where the majority of research is weird carried out in white educated industrialized rich democracies and really a lot of it is based on um, American students who haven't even from a Freudian point of view uh, managed to get out of their adolescence yet but we're going to draw um, value-based decision-making and treatment and thoughts about what works with people based on under 25-year-olds who are participating in research to get credits on their degree. Mm. Mm. It makes no sense. Right. So it's also to be mindful that a lot of what people will read are sound bites from research that when you look at the original research, you would be questioning can you really base, you know, draw those conclusions based on that population in that limited environment and, you know, whether the research methods are ethical or not, it's neither here nor there in some respects. It's, mm. it's the, we don't look at it deeply enough because people get funded for research through grants and they have to meet certain ethical criteria. Each of the stages limits the possibilities of what, what we should be or could be looking at. Mm. Right. So 
there's just this ongoing really conscious intention it seems to to be aware of when we start to limit the possibilities of growth or connection or of understanding another person's experience and uh, both when we if we focus just on looking on the bright side or in the case of uh, of evaluating interpreting research for instance it's always trying to be careful not to draw too quick a conclusion or too um, too general a conclusion I suppose without really understanding sort of the the nature behind mm -hmm. it or the context of it and the populations you yeah. draw conclusions from populations and we're not even looking at the the diversity or the lack of diversity within those structures so mm -hmm. and and also it's from a very western viewpoint um, and not embracing cultures and I think that when you look at what's really been adopted and westernized in positive psychology a lot of stuff around mindfulness practice and and working compassionately with people really all the things that have now been validated and in inverted commas by science that have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years um, that suddenly now because some guy <laughs> has brought it over and we're going to make it a bit more accessible to the general populations and show them the benefits so we can take from that whatever we want mm. um, but ignore the other elements of the cultures that we're taking from yeah it sounds like you've really thought deeply and and quite expansively about this uh topic Magella. and 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 it's almost like when you were describing there the the dynamic it's it's the dead and I, and I, my guess is that certainly for me they, and my guess is that there's possibly people in the audience are thinking about about this from an organizational perspective is that the, the dynamic of the organizational need the funders of the organization that are paying people's wages that they have a certain outcome that they are striving to achieve and, and as a consequence of that it it causes a limitation on the the potential of the practitioner to allow themselves to shine as bright as they possibly can, but also then potentially restricts the opportunity for the clients within that organization to achieve their potential because it's not on offer because there's a certain outcome we are expecting and that's the one we want you to work towards. And it's very limited. Whereas what you're describing from a positive psychology perspective is, is if we were to strive for an individual flourishing, whatever that actually might mean, for that individual that itself opens up the pot potential and the possibility both for the practitioner to allow themselves to allow their magic to to grow but also for the client then to experience a much more authentic and enriched and re relationship which you know the conversations we've been having with most people is that that seems to be a thread that's running around us but that the richness of the human relationship is where things change it's there's more to us than these small titles. And it sounds like positive psychology is encouraging us to think like that. You know, we're bigger than this. Uh, how can we allow that bigness to come into place facing the challenges as you're describing, which is the limited nature of research or the organizations funding it or the organizations offering the help? I, I wonder though with the the limitations um, are really primarily in the people who are 
implementing organizationally because mm. most people it, it, things have been very fear-based and I think that's what psychology was very fear-based how do we contain these terrible illnesses these diseases these symptoms within society mm. so it's, it was very much driven from a fear base and organizations tend to get fearful mm. and managers get fearful mm. i can't really you know make one rule for one and one rule for another even though my my other employees i know that what their strengths are mm. They work and, and function in a completely different way, but mm. I can't make a decision to treat them any different or to provide different opportunities for them. So it's, it's kind of not really implementing any innovation or consideration to what or how to reach the outcomes. So you've got outcomes that are dictated to within funding possibilities but no one's, no one's willing to really try anything new in order to see if those outcomes can be achieved without doing something that someone else has already tried. Um, and I think that there's elements of, if, if we want things to be different and if we want change to happen, then we have to be willing to fail. Well, uh, I... I'm tempted to come back to something you said at the beginning, Magella. When you mentioned briefly as you were describing positive psychology that uh, there was a link there right from the right from the start for you with positive psychology and MI. And I think you maybe you said that you you, re, you noticed that motivational interviewing wasn't a part of what you were learning, although maybe it, it felt like it should have been there. Um, where do you see the overlaps and the connections mm. there between if I was going to be more explicit, I would say actually a lot of positive psychology stems from social work practice. And um, so I was constantly sat in lectures and things where I'd be thinking, yeah, social work's been doing this for donkey's years. This is not new. This is just reframed. And with motivational interview, I actually ended up going back and lecturing on the courses on motivational interviewing because it's very much focused around being person-centered you know uh, working with where the strengths are in that person and where they connect and think about them in the context of them personally but also within their family their culture and society um, rather than delivering something that's isolated and that goes back to um, the whole Neil Thompson's anti-discriminatory practice model, which is a concentric circles, and at the center is, is the person, it's PCS model, the person, then the next circle is culture, and the third circle is society. So it's always reviewing and thinking about that person and holding space for them in relation to all of those elements at any one time. So you're not just kind of putting a plaster over a boil and saying it'll be fine you're actually exploring is it appropriate does this person have support and resources in order for that change to happen and motivational interviewing is by far an obvious positive psychology intervention it's an absolutely obvious one 
it's it's as ob it's obvious like gratitude diaries or um, thinking about mindfulness practice or thinking about different ways that people can utilize their strengths um, and the probably the, the the biggest crossover is is the strengths focus is the coming alongside and working collaboratively with people rather than prescribing something for them and offering unsolicited advice mm -hmm. so it, it, a couple of things come to my mind one is that 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 last point you were making about the, the way we view the world which is and perhaps initially we were and and for many of us still we're looking at the world from a deficit worldview whereas whereas this positive psychology is encouraging us to look at it from a strength-based view and maybe that's a more accurate word than if we think about the word positive it's more about strength that that we find ourselves in these set of circumstances and yes there are difficulties but there are there are also strengths present let's look at those strengths to help us work work our way out of this place in whatever way is useful for the other person and another thing that you said resonated Steve Rolnick, when we spoke to him, said an interesting thing. He says that the more, the more and more he is looking into motivation interviewing, the more he's realizing it's, it's that notion. There's very little new under the sun, and he described himself as a, a psychological archaeologist. That, I suppose, consistent if you think about Western philosophies, is that, that the truth exists of itself, and what mm -hmm. we're doing is simply we're we're not we're not finding it or discovering it. It's there. We're just coming to see it. And it sounds mm -hmm. like positive psychology is discovering an element of this truth. Motivational Levine has discovered an element of this truth. And other approaches are trying to find elements of this truth. And it's how do we... And maybe that's part of what we're discovering here in the podcast is, is that whatever, whenever we talk to people, people are stitching together the information they have for the same goal, which is for the well-being of other people and... The more we can stitch this stuff together in a quilt, a, a patchwork quilt, maybe we'll get a better sense of what this wider truth really is for humankind. And I would say I completely get all of that, but <laughs> but um, we are limited by our filters. Right. We are completely limited. We are blinkers by our own socialization, by our own life experiences, by our own projections. And no matter how much you try to look at those, we're affected by all the unconscious bias stuff that comes up and, and all the kind of, you know, the everyday use of language and how that limits us. Mm. So I would say that, that that quilt might be one quilt of one view of one truth yeah um and that we are con all of us and i i mean uh, uh, me everyone we're all limited by how we've been socialized and what our expectations are so we think we're rebelling against something because we've broken away from what the social expectations are because of our gender or our ethnicity or whatever it might be but actually we're just we're still as limited we're just limited in another way right we're conventionally unconventional yeah right yeah do you hear that all you punks yeah it's just making me laugh because i so uh, my my son lives on a boat in in King's Cross and they have a garden him and his girlfriend have a garden next to the boat and 
where there's the side is private and so but across the other side it's a public right of way so mm. there's people constantly going up and down it is like being in a human zoo people are so curious about people sitting outside having tea on the other side where they live in a boat and a few weeks ago um they were sat outside having breakfast and these two American tourists who were cycling on the other side <laughs> went past and one shouted to the other, hey, honey, look, um, the nonconformists are here. <laughs> 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 and it kind of makes me think, we all think we're rebelling. Yeah. We all think we're being really open. We all think we're woke or, you know, and it's actually... We're, we're only, we're so far removed from yeah. achieving, because uh, I think the fact that we are still looking at individuals and not collectively mm -hmm. and not community orientated and not, you know, we've driven the world politically into what's right for me mm. rather than what's good for all. Mm. How can we, you know, rather than making a quick buck on something, we're we've missed opportunities to really connect with each other. And, and I think that's the, the heart of human flourishing is connection. And so I imagine there's people in the audience who are wondering then, you referenced working with someone with say clinical depression uh, earlier and that you know perhaps that person would choose to take medication to alleviate symptoms or to tolerate their distress better or whatever they would choose to do that for. But, but if, if you were, if you were engaging with that person in, in some work in, in a conversation about, about change or about their life, and you were bringing to that conversation, your, all of these ideas and, and ways of thinking about the world and the training and positive psychology and social work and MI and all that, like how, people might be wondering, so what, what would it be like to have that experience with Magella? If Magella was my counselor or, or you know, what, how, how do you bring all of these ideas to the work that you do with someone, say, with clinical depression? Okay. First of all, I'd never describe myself as a counselor <laughs> sure. or a coach. Sure, sure. Um, Which, whichever phrase yeah. fits. Uh, so I, w I would say... Um, that it would depend on the person what they would experience so yeah. I, I when uh, I'm working with someone it's very much about focused on figuring out what works for them obviously um, and it could be usually during my first sessions with anyone I'll I'll say so you need to understand I might take you into the park and get you to walk barefoot and hug trees or we might just sit here and talk or we might use medicine cards or we might use uh, affirmation cards or we might use all sorts of range of things to to help us discover or, and work mm. together so if it's not your cup of tea you know it's fine mm. you know um sure. there's a transparency early on just to say you know let's let's be sure this is a good fit mm. yeah mm -hmm. and so uh you it really how i would work with someone is Hmm. that's a really hard one so generic hmm. you can come and see me i have clients online right <laughs> yeah um yeah, it, 
it, yeah. in a way it would be a range of it would be definitely person-centered mm -hmm. definitely you know aiming for an empathic understanding of where someone is at the first session would be a lot about um i would take a history you know work with them in in lots of different ways we may not ever look at that history if it's mm -hmm. not really something that they're connecting with or it's not anything that you it doesn't have to be that this stems from when you were four although I would definitely be looking out for trauma mm. I think there's a, a lot of trauma in the world and people's mm. experiences that goes unnoticed um, we would spend time people have tea when they come to see me generally mm. I'm not okay. one of these people who's going to sit there, say nothing and uh, lie, get them to lie on the couch unless, and also the cats get involved. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'd like to say Cecily and Leonard offer some help and support. Mm -hmm. um, so we would really explore whether there's, whether this, this is the best fit. If I felt really that this wasn't appropriate, I'd hopefully be able to make a referral or signpost someone to somewhere else oftentimes the work that we do we might do some work together around mindfulness or I might suggest that someone will go away and do an eight-week MBSR course because uh, there's definitely really good links and strong evidence around clinical depression and success successful non-reoccurrence post uh, learning mindfulness um, we would definitely be looking at exploring whether it's appropriate to, to use gratitude diaries on a daily basis and see whether that makes a difference. Um, and we'll create theme tunes or different things to use, uh, you know, to reactivate or, or fire in a different direction than neural pathways. So if someone can recognize these uh, under these circumstances this is when I notice my spiraling mood um, I will work with them to recognize when that happens and we would try and figure out different ways of firing their neural pathways in a different direction so they don't spiral downwards and that could be using a theme tune creating a character you know so it's like okay my character is an Edwardian lady um, so she'll think very grandly about things. Mm. So your authenticity is offered to the clients at the very beginning. This is who I am. This is the way I do things. If this is something you think can be of benefit to you, let's see where this goes. If it's not, let's see where else you can be helped. But alongside of that, it sounds like you're integrating what, you're just, what you've been telling us about in relation to positive psychology is some of the ideas that may be of benefit. It's, and they're not fixed, that it's a very flexible, you have a, a range, a very creative range of possibilities, and you're willing to allow individuals to pick mm -hmm. whichever one works. The expertise that you're bringing in is that that emotional the awareness of emotional intelligence and and the, the brain chemistry and so that that's what you're bringing to the party that you can see things and you have ideas about what might help change what's going on for the client and then you offer them do you want to go out and hug a tree that might really help yeah. you and it, and for some people that really works some people it's barefoot some people it's mindfulness some people it's 
but you've got that full range of opportunities. Mm. And also sometimes people will just sit and talk and that there's, you know, it's whatever works for them. Sure. Like it's, it's really, if someone wants to spend the full session just talking through their experiences, I, I wouldn't interrupt them. Right. If that feel it is what, how they are feeling is mm. most useful to them. Mm. Sure. So yeah, it's a full range, but it's informed by mm -hmm. lots of different practices. And, and I think also that's through my own experience of uh, therapy and therapeutic interventions and practicing uh, different elements. And I, I find it very difficult when people are dictating or suggesting things to clients when they haven't looked at their own shit. <laughs> right. You know, I think it's really important that we need to recognize that we are humans and we uh, have shitty experiences and we can be really nasty people and we can be really lovely people and we can be all the things in between. Mm. Um, and that will depend on the circumstances and various other elements and strands. So I think it's really important not to pretend to be this kind of icon guru, you know, untouchable. My life is perfect. When I'd really be interested in meeting someone whose life is perfect. My life is perfect for me, even with all the shit. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's, you know, yeah. thinking differently. Mm. And, and so some of the, links to MI again that that seem to resonate there are uh, the shared expertise. Uh, Glenn, you seem to be referencing that as well, that the honoring the other person's experience and their own sense of what would work best for them. And you're willing to share and, and feel probably the responsibility to share the, the what you know about uh, what's been helpful to other people or, or different ideas about how the brain chemistry works. Um, and then these suggestions are offered though support with a, with an element of in, in the NMI world, we would say autonomy support, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's just an offering. It's not a, a forced idea or, or, a, or a have to it's, you know, here's something that's been helpful or here's an idea that might be interesting to you. What's your sense of that? And how does that fit with your experience? Mm -hmm. um, and also, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, and obviously not unsolicited. Sure, yeah, right. So would, it, would it be helpful right. for you if I shared some things that, that have may or may not be useful to you, but have been helpful to some other people? Right. Um, and I wouldn't really do masses of self-disclosure necessarily. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't okay. be about me referencing my yeah. um, experiences per se. Right, right. I'm wondering too about the idea of change talk, which obviously is a big deal in MI. And we heard from Terry Moyers not long ago about that. Is that part of the work that you do? Do you see that sort of, because you, you've been talking about language in other circumstances, and this is just another way of focusing on particular kind of language. Any thoughts on that? Mm. Not, not overly, really. I think that um, I think there's more, more to people's nonverbals around change and potential for change mm. as well. 
So we focus on, you know, change talk or uh, dialogue um, to the exclusivity of the non-verbal indicators um, when we look at some of the coding around MI. And um, personally, I think we miss out. <laughs> we're not, we're, we're narrowed down to looking at certain indicators and we've missed really fundamental things that no one's looking at. Mm. Um, and, and I think that we have to consider what, uh, what we're bringing into that helping relationship too. And, you know, we, we're practicing on a conscious level. It's not just laissez-faire. It's like, okay, being present with someone is probably one of the most powerful things that you can do for anyone. I mean, when you can really feel it when someone's present with you. Um, and I think that's a big support to people for them to make change. Um, and I don't necessarily, I mean, definitely I would reflect back things, but I think it, it becomes, it's so integrated. <laughs> it's, it's hard to uh, unpick. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's hard to unpick. Yeah. And when you're describing that sense of being with someone, it sounds like in some ways that when you're being with someone, you don't have to think about what you're going to do next. It will, it will simply show itself from your capacity to, to be helpful. Um, mm. Is that is that is that your experience of it? Is that your sense of it? I think um, I would say I'm strategically thinking all mm. the time, mm. alongside with being present. I mean, it's not it, it's a conscious, active listening mm. process. But it doesn't. It doesn't just focus on what the verbals are, right? Um, you know, and it, it's definitely about sitting and being present with the whole person. Um, and I think that there are indicators as you build a relationship with someone, you get a better idea of the kind of things that suit them where they're at at different stages. Um, and some people really appreciate and 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 experience big shifts when it's just talking other people experience more um where they're really discovering themselves you know they've never really been listened to before about who they are in the world mm. not in the way that you do when you're w working with someone therapeutically so I think, yeah, things do show themselves, but it's the client that shows it to you, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But your training and your experiences and your practices and everything else that, that bring, you know, probably really it's that nurturing, um, propagating stuff within the client. Yeah. Um, but really the client chooses which things will flourish and which don't. Mm. Right. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you mentioning the nonverbals. It's just struck me throughout this experience of doing the podcast. We've been very much focused on the, on the verbals and, uh, and, and the language, and for good reason. I mean, that's, that's a big part of communication and human dialogue and a big part of motivational interviewing. But uh, you seem to suggest that a lot of what you're responding to is, is 
body posture and facial expression and these things that are difficult to code, maybe impossible to code if you're using a recording uh, or an audio recording, but in, in the work that you do, it's as important, if not more sometimes, than word choice or whether this is somebody saying that they're going to quit or they're committing to quit something. It's, it's all the other stuff around it too. I think that for me, it's even, even more than that as well. It's the verbals, the non-verbals, but the non-verbals is also something about energy. What, what's, what, what energy is someone bringing in with them? Mm. And uh, that, that might be very different from what's coming out of their mouth. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's kind of, you know, reflecting back the discrepancy between your your feeling from them and I think this is very much underrated and not talked about uh because you know through years and years of experience you pick up energetically mm -hmm. what's going on with people mm -hmm. and and it's like is that person ready willing or able to really look at this right now mm -hmm. and it's it's you know working with them to get them into a position where they feel able because that might be the very thing that triggers the turnover into change. Yeah. So you're, you're inviting the audience to consider the possibility that we don't just listen with their ears, we listen with their eyes and very significantly we listen with our heart. Mm. What, what can we hear in those three dimensions to help us understand the experience this client is having, this other person is having in our company? Mm. And simply to notice that to them in itself can be very healing. Yes, and I think uh, even adding to that is what you feel with your skin. Well, okay. <laughs> you know the senses yeah. that you you pick up because it's all um, you know looking at how important platonic touch is and all those things and elements of when you feel, you know, you get that gut feeling that's come that's been dictated to through your skin. You know, th people use that making my skin crawl or there's something that's making me uncomfortable or mm. you know all these things. So, yeah, so I, th I think you're right. Definitely the heart. You've made me think of the children's song. Which one's that? It's, oh, God, I can't believe I'm going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen you've tuned with in. your eyes, listen with your eyes and sing everything you see. You can edit that out now. No, thanks. yeah, no. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 uh, we're just interrupted. I think our radio signal connected to uh, a, a commercial radio station just now. And, <laughs> I think it was Madonna. Yeah. <laughs> so, so again, what's what's the words there? Listen with your eyes. Yeah, and sing everything you see. Mm. And it's the rainbow song. Oh, and I can see a rainbow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can you sing with me? Mm. Quite the maybe invitation. A theme song for the session, maybe for this episode. Mm. <laughs> I'd be interested to know what your theme tunes would be if you had to pick a theme tune that could take you out of a shitty mood. Uh, right. I was wondering what theme, when you brought up theme tunes as a as a as a a way of helping somebody. I was wondering uh, a bit more about that. So. Uh, it's exploring songs that exist, I suppose, songs that connect to somebody in, in, in a meaningful way and helps to move them. Mm. Yeah. It could be the cheesiest, I mean, probably the cheesier, the better. Uh -huh. I mean, did you ever watch Ali McBeal? Uh-huh, yes. So she had themed tunes. Oh, right, right. Wow, that was, 
long time ago, but yeah. Uh -huh. I was 10 when that came out. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. So what would your theme tune be? Oh. Hmm. I'm, I'm just thinking that, um, I'm trying to remember who my, my, I was taking my youngest daughter to school this morning and she had, who did she have? Adele. Adele was playing. And Adele was singing about, you know, don't be coming back here. I don't love you anymore. And then the next song was, where have you gone? And beautifully sung, beautifully structured songs. But, but and I could I could see how they would resonate with someone who was experiencing difficulties in a in an intimate relationship. And 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 how that could almost comfort them. I'm thinking about when I was younger, when when I did lose in relationships. I went to that place. I, I love that song, Happy. That's a certain a song that you know just lifts me right right up. Um, How does that one go then, Glenn? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that that I like. I like the invitation. Um, the, the words slip my slip, but it's certainly all about. Let me see if I can remember some of it. Um, happy anyway. It's. I, I can see, I, what it, I think what it is, is when I hear that song, I see something in my mind. It's a lightness. It's a, it's a, it's a skipping movement. It's a, mm -hmm. um, so, so mm -hmm. no, I'm not going to sing it for you. Oh. <coughs> Could it give me a forewarning? I know what I got the words. <laughs> so we, as we begin to wind things down here, sadly, uh, we like to, invite our guests to share a bit about what they've been thinking about lately, whether it's related to MI, if there's something related specific to MI that you've been working on lately or thinking about lately, or, or perhaps something connected to positive psychology or the work that you do. Uh, so what you've been thinking about lately, Majella? Well, I've been actually thinking a lot about trauma-informed practice. <laughs> um, huh. And that's one of the things. And also working towards um, thinking about how we as helpers improve our well-being and increase um, our connection with colleagues and clients so that uh, we don't burn out really. Mm -hmm. So probably a lot around that, amongst other things. Mm. Mm. So it's, it's interesting that you mentioned trauma, the trauma-informed practice. We've, we've spoken to Dee Dee Stout in California, and that was what she was telling us about. And I think it's potentially a, something that's a lot of the audience are, are going to start hearing more and more about. I know that here in Northern Ireland, they're talking about it in childcare, they're talking about it in addictions, they're talking about it in mental health, at, a, at an early stage about how to understand why people behave the way they do. And again, it's that crossover between what informs motivational engineering practice is that, that idea that this individual's behaviour makes perfect sense. In motivational engineering, that's it's simply about do I understand why it makes sense? But the trauma-informed practice is inviting us to see it. Is it an indication of an earlier trauma in the person's life? That's why mm -hmm. they're drinking. That's why they're presenting with this mental health-related difficulty. That's why they're living in this domestic violence situation. Um, but it, the invitation is to try and understand without judgment. 
And I think mm. that's the bit that's maybe continuing to be repeated in our podcast here. There is something at the center of all of our conversations, which is try and be curious without judgment, try and understand. Um, and if you do that, chances are you're going to be helpful at some mm. level. You might not see an awful lot of change, but the likelihood is that the person's left feeling a bit better, even if it was just for the 25 minutes they were sitting with you, they, mm. it wasn't getting worse. Mm. And that's made me think of something else that I'm thinking of is, is actually sitting with the discomfort, supporting people to be in an uncomfortable place mm. and, and to not create resistance with it as right. well so it's like actually it's okay you know this is being human right it sucks right and that you bring um, us back to the bit at the beginning which is it's it's not just all good there are difficult times in our life mm. and i suppose there's the it's not just for the client to be able to do it the, the challenge is for us practitioners to be able to sit in the discomfort of a client's pain mm-hmm. and, and for us to be able to tolerate that too to contain that in a in a way that doesn't do- harm us mm. yeah and that ultimately at the heart of all of it is love that's mm. it yeah <laughs> you know this is this is it it's like all that exists is love really everything else is just made up crap it <laughs> <laughs> reminds me of the theme tune but uh yeah we'll yeah, we'll discuss that offline. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. No, what's your theme tune, Sebastian? Oh, uh, well, it's it's you know, boy, that, that we could be on here for a while. Yeah. There's lots of them, but uh, I, I guess for me, it, it's the things that I resonate with the most are, uh, which I, I promise you, I won't sing any, but it's uh, you know, things that that kind of bring me to a time of memory with with people that I care about. Mm-hmm. or or places that mm-hmm. that i really feel connected to mm. um th- there's a an old rap song uh by a guy named curtis blow uh and it's it's a rap about basketball and it was uh when i was a a kid the preteen, uh living in new york and uh i just i heard that song the other day on the radio i couldn't believe it and i cranked it up in my car and pulled into my garage and it was it was wonderful because it brought me back to this wonderful time of childhood where I um you know that's what was I was most focused on was hanging out with my friends and playing basketball so okay what I'm I'm, I'm going to endeavor to do is if you're listening to this podcast hopefully below this conversation there are two links one to happy and one to Curtis Blow and then a third one from Magella which would be the darkness. I believe in a thing called love. There we go. Beautiful. <laughs> and you know what? Just right. as we're finishing, what strikes me is, is it, it, you, what you asked us to do there was to, come, to think about our theme tunes, but also to consider singing them. And it sounds like that's the sort of thing that you do in practice, that you would invite, if I was your client, you would have, you would have genuinely invited me to think about that. And, and to allow me to go to wherever that took me. And, and I may have been comfortable enough to sing it and then just to look at, well, how can you use that in a way that's going to be useful for you in times when you are struggling? God bless you. I would never ask anyone to sing unless they were singers because that would be horrendous. Right. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> but okay. having said that, if someone did want to practice it, yeah. 
generally it, it's like it, it's thinking about using those theme tunes when you're walking down the road and you're going to work yeah it's it's listening to the music instead of listening to talk radio it's doing things that that will take you away from your comfort it's wherever you're attending oh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Lovely. But I might try it now that mm. you've come up with that and I'll mm. let you know the yeah. result. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. Well, Magella, you, you just mentioned something about the take people, practitioners or professionals taking care of themselves and the importance of, uh, of, of connection with that. And uh, it, that it made me think of our time right now and, and this conversation that we're having. And uh, it's great to, to reconnect with you and, and to have this conversation with you. And we very much appreciate uh, your time and, and your wisdom and your the ideas that you've shared with us today. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Good, good. <laughs> it really has. And, so. and you know, I, I, I have no doubt that people are gonna be, have some questions perhaps after this. If you were willing if people were to reach out to you, would you be willing for people who are listening to this podcast to reach out to you? And what are the venues or the the avenues that they can follow to connect with Magella? Well, I'm on Twitter at Motivational Madge, I think, at Motivational Madge. And um, I have a website, which is green. G R E E N E dot co dot UK. Had to think about my name then yeah. for a minute. Yeah. You got um, it. Good. And they can certainly contact me via those means. Fantastic. And again, if people are looking to comment on this or pass this podcast on to other people, on Twitter, it's Talking to Change. And on, in fact, it's Change Talking on Twitter, at Change Talking. Uh, on Facebook, it's Talking to Change. And for people who want to ask us questions, it's podcast at glennhines.com. We've had one comment uh, in the last few days uh, quest, asking us questions about the links between what think, links we have, we think there are between motivational interviewing and the trans model of change. And that has stimulated us to think about maybe reaching out to a few people we know about uh, who have expertise in that area as well as relationships with motivation events so we really appreciate that uh kathleen for your question great well glenn once again it's been great talking with you and uh like we said magella it's been a pleasure to uh to have our chat today so thank you so much thank you take, take care, care. Bye. okay bye, bye everyone bye.